0: When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef,
1: what course are we on?
2: Bet the board. What
1: do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't... Yeah, I don't... I never have,
3: and I
2: never will. Yeah, right. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the
0: day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where
1: I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back
3: home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Pain Insider and Todd
1: Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board Podcast. Thursday, January 5th, the first official Bet the Board Podcast of 2017. The regular season officially in the rear view, and we're playing for keeps here with the NFL postseason in the docket. Special thanks, as always, to our parent sponsor, Bet Online, the American Gaming Association, that'll bring us the big game breakdown Sunday afternoon's thriller. But, Payne, we're starting to talk about 11 games that at least mean something in the National Football League season. I'm not sure where the time goes when you're having fun.
3: It's been a good season. Slowed down a little bit, Uh, you know, since about week eight or nine in terms of production. For the postseason's here, time to... uh, Hack on, and I think we can help our listeners make a little coin.
1: You know, there's a significant amount of pressure on you this year, given the uh, improbable and run for the ages you put together last year in the chase for the Lombardi Trophy. So a lot of our listeners are going to expect that type of performance again here in 2017. I wouldn't expect that. (laughs) You don't think you're going to be able to do it? You don't think you're going to be able to run the table? I wouldn't expect that. All right, well, I want to try and set, you know, modest expectations. That's not modest. Uh uh, of course, yeah, you're probably right. But for folks who've appreciated all the content we've brought forth all season long, I encourage you to check out the Bet the Board podcast website. All sorts of great gambling gear. Limited supplies still remain. Pain. I'm not sure what we have an in inventory, but uh, I know last check, there are only a few shirts in each style. Yeah,
3: the t-shirts are actually going uh, pretty well. The most common ones, they're just about out in the popular sizes. So uh, you're going to want to get your t-shirts now before they sell out. Probably looking into some, you know, we're like Kanye West here with our designs. Yeezy 2, maybe Season 2 stuff towards the, uh, you know, next year's podcast. But over the summer, this is what we're going to have. We'll sell out of that stuff. And then we'll have some new t-shirts. Maybe we'll do a little vote on the Bet the Board pod Twitter page on what we can see. Probably a Bet the Board logo tee, maybe a first half under tee. But uh, we'll take it to a vote, see what you guys want.
1: Yeah, well, uh, we'll put together some stuff. We appreciate the feedback from all you guys, and I know we do it each and every week uh, that we jump on the air, but want to thank all the loyal listeners. You guys are the ones that make this Bet the Board podcast worth doing twice a week during the regular season, and, of course, once a week during the NFL postseason. But, Payne, before we get to the four big games and, of course, the College Football National Championship, want to do a relatively brief recap, uh, season in review, and we may as well start with a team that laid an egg last Sunday, the Washington Redskins. How do we even begin to articulate that performance with everything to play for against a Giants team who, in theory, should have been checked out, but Kirk Cousins' poor decision-making, the Redskins putting together one of the more lethargic first halves. I guess shame. fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on us. And That was more or less what we saw with Washington the second time in about three weeks laying an egg at home.
3: Yeah, unfortunately, I was involved in that uh, mess. Had Washington in a teaser leg, didn't come close. I'll say this, though, like you can't be consistent when you can't do the things that make you consistent. So number one, they can't stop the run. Number two, they can't run the ball themselves. So everything from that point's an uphill battle. They're not great offensively in the red zone. They're not great defensively in the red zone. Those are all pretty key metrics that you're going to need to be successful. Kirk Cousins, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, obviously. The Giants came out like they needed that game like blood just more energy effort intensity early on in that game. Uh, so that's what you got from Washington. We saw them crap their pants Monday night football against a lesser Carolina team. Probably should have been a good indication of what we were going to see this past week. We talked about the inflated price. That was accurate. We talked about potentially the Giants sitting guys that didn't seem to be the case. I know Beckham jr. Sat out a couple of the late series offensively, but uh, for the most part, giants played their guys and you saw an inflated price and, uh, it got Giants backers to the window.
1: Yeah, and we did see that number take off uh, from 7.5 upwards of 9, 9.5 with very real steam right before kickoff. Uh, you mentioned some of the erratic play that you saw from the Redskins in you know key areas that you need to try and sustain, but I guess the $100 million question, and no pun intended here, if you're Daniel Snyder and you're going to the negotiating table, given the decision making you saw from Kirk Cousins under pressure, is he the guy that you want as the face of the franchise? At the right price. Uh, I I think
3: it's a market. So whatever he's going to command is what he's worth. I mean it's the market. But when you look at what these quarterbacks are making, I think you're definitely looking at something like Brock Osweiler, if not a little more. Um, You're going to have to have pieces around him uh, for him to be successful. So the offensive line, decent in pass protection, they can't run the ball. So how good is your above average quarterback going to be? You can't stop the run so your offense rarely ever gets in a rhythm because they're not on the field enough. So those are kind of the things that you're going to have to look at. And we've talked about there's There's three groups of quarterbacks. You have the problem solvers. Those are your elite guys. You have the guys that are issues. And then you have that large middle of the pack, that middle tier, that's going to need things to be perfect around them. That Ryan Tannehill type that's going to make $18 million a season. That's probably where Kirk Cousins is going to fall in, in that category. If you have a good offensive line, if you have a decent defense, if you can run the ball, they can get you to the playoffs and potentially win a Super Bowl. There's very few elite guys, but the guys in Kirk Cousins' class, the Ryan Tannehills, they're going to make $18 million a year, so that's what you should expect if you want him under center
1: for the Redskins. Aaron Rodgers obviously is there. Tom Brady, we know those two guys. Andrew Luck, does he elite at the position?
3: I have a time. I'm trying to get Big Ben in there. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer. I would think, I mean, he didn't play that way this season. Dealt with some injuries, but I think when you look at this, Aaron Rodgers. Okay, we'll throw we'll Brady, throw Brady.
1: We'll throw Big Ben in there. We'll throw Big Ben in there Andrew then.
3: Luck. Russell Wilson. I. Th- and just kind of looking at this, I don't think you know the untrained eye would know this, but Kirk Cousins' far superior season than Ben Roethlisberger obviously doesn't have the hardware, doesn't have the longevity behind him. When you look at Kirk Cousins, you'll get all the efficiency metrics. You know he's a top ten quarterback this season. That's kind of the reality of the situation. Um, you saw what Tyrod Taylor got in the offseason. You're going to probably, Kirk Cousins is going to command more money than that, despite what he did this last Sunday and throw up on himself. Uh, Derek Carr, very good season, still struggles with some inconsistency, but he's right up there. Um, so that's kind of your your quarterback class. Now you have that like top tier of second tier two, I would call them. And it's kind of just a, you know, you can throw Jerry Ruiz in there now. You can throw Kirk Cousins. Matthew Stafford had a fantastic season. Uh, Dak Prescott was fantastic and I know everyone, again, I think I'm the only guy in the Sam Bradford train. I heard he set a record this season with completion percentage. What did he complete? 71% of his passes? It was the 38th. 38th most... Yeah, 38th in the entire NFL history for completion percentage. 38th best season for completion percentage. So... Uh, you're kind of in that top tier of, of tier two, Kirk Cousins. So you're going to pay him $18 million a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that when you consistently look at, at a lot of the stuff and maybe people are looking for different information and different signs to try and trigger uh, which of these quarterbacks are future Hall of Famers, uh, there are only a few of those guys out there. And I guess one name, Payne, who, who we didn't mention in terms of a particular tier, who's being very much mentioned as a potential MVP candidate, if not the favorite Uh, At this juncture in the season, of course, we'll talk about his team in greater detail next weekend when they play in the division round. Matt Ryan, uh, I guess MVP debate. There's three candidates, in my opinion, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. I know a lot of people, Dak Prescott should be up there, maybe Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, But for me, I think those three guys kind of a cut above. Do we feel that Matt Ryan has done enough this season for the Falcons to kind of be bestowed with the honor of league MVP?
3: Well, not shocking. Those are the three best quarterbacks in the NFL this season. One, two, and three. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, When you look at MVP, most valuable player, I don't know. Matt Ryan's had a fantastic season, responsible for the resurgence. They do have a ton of offensive weapons. I'm, you know, man crush on Kyle Shanahan. Uh, He's really led this resurgence offense with Matt Ryan, you know, giving him that second life, so to speak. Brady, we know what he is. He's probably had the best season uh, when you look at all the efficiency metrics, I think I'd have to go Aaron Rodgers just from a most valuable standpoint. There's not a ton of talent on that team. There's just not a lot of talent on the Green Bay roster right now. I think I'd have to go Aaron Rodgers. Plus, you know, he didn't give everybody the relax, but he literally babe Ruth it and he said, Hey, we're gonna win the last six games and he wins the last six games. Hey, the, man, the, called the, sh- the man
1: called a shot and delivered. I, I can't fault him for doing that. <laughs>
3: that's my kind of guy right there. Um, so <laughs> that's that's where I would lean for most valuable.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to be an interesting race. We know it's a quarterback-driven league, much like the Heisman in college football, is typically a quarterback award. I, I'd be shocked if anybody outside of those guys won. Uh, when we look at some of the other major awards, Rookie of the Year, I think Two Horse Race, Pain Dak Prescott to Zeke Elliott, safe to say that Zeke takes this in a runaway, knowing that he led the league in rushing.
3: I think when you look at that yeah not so much for me how I look at it is yes the rushing yards are fantastic but what it meant to the other side of the football when you can play keep away defense had a lot of injuries a lot of suspensions earlier on not a load of talent on that side of the ball so what he allows you to do from a team perspective is so valuable so much more valuable than you see him running with the ball it's the other side of the ball that he has an effect on and I think that makes him the most valuable yeah
1: Last thing I want to ask you about before we talk about the most surprising and most disappointing teams, Coach of the Year. Um, where is that award going? Or I'd actually, you know what? I don't care where it goes. Where do you think it should go for the best performance from the coach from a coach this season?
3: And maybe because I'm just so close to it, it's got to be Adam Gase. Like this team does not have much talent at all. It's shocking what he's done. I mean, literally, starting center out, starting quarterback out. Both safeties out, cornerbacks out. There's not a. There's one good linebacker on the entire roster. You can't stop the run. It's If he gets some talent, it's going to be scary what he can do here in Miami and I think eventually he will once the front office organization gets their crap together. This team just doesn't have a ton of talent. You saw what he did with Ryan Tannehill. Ryan is kind of a guy that uh, middle of the pack maybe we've all been waiting for him to turn the corner. He turned the corner. Under Adam Gase, he is the quarterback whisperer. So, he's not going to win it. But when you look at a talent perspective, how thin this roster is—not me being biased—you're gonna, you know, again, you're gonna see what ends up happening to the Miami Dolphins and how he changes the organization. So, he's been the most—I uh, think he's the coach of the year hands down.
1: And a perfect segue. Then does that make the Dolphins the most surprising team in your eyes that we have saw during the NFL regular season? Or do we have to give credit to a Detroit Lions team, albeit limping to the finish, that was able to get to the postseason despite losing uh, one of their key offensive weapons last offseason?
3: Yeah, I think you can probably add even Atlanta to that mix, too, between those three teams. Uh, There weren't a lot of high hopes for the Dolphins. Uh, Win total got steamed under 7, and so when you you jump out of the gates, 1-3, that becomes even more impressive. You win 9-11 of down the stretch. So... um, that was a shock to me. How how well the Miami Dolphins did. Faded them a couple times. Got crapped on. Um, <laughs> you hate to have your home team do that to you, but that's the reality of the situation. Atlanta though, a lot of guys were steaming them under. Uh, so that's kind of my basis for this. When you're looking at teams, not only how they perform, but I like to look how they performed based on what the wise guys really thought. And so when you can overcome that. Um, guys that do this for a living, guys that know these teams in and out, guys that get the best information in the world. So when you can kind of overcome the sharpest guys in the world, that becomes a little bit uh, more impressive to me. So Atlanta right up there as well.
1: And I guess a non-playoff team, probably the Tennessee Titans?
3: Uh, Yeah, they took that next step. Still not a huge fan of Mike Malarkey. The division stinks. Someone was going to rise uh, in that division. Andrew Luck banged up a little bit again this season. So, you know, the AFC South plays a huge role in, in their resurgence for sure.
1: No, no doubt about it. For everything that comes up, there are obviously teams that had to come down. In your eyes, who was the most disappointing team you watched all season long? <sighs> you, can pick the, you can pick the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, no, you can go there no, if you want. I, I,
3: I didn't expect much from them. Okay. I was, You know, you, you got to prove it for me. Like, we talked about this in our preseason podcast, and I was dead wrong in the Oakland Raiders. To me, I needed to see it. That's kind of how I am. Show me you can do it. And the Jacksonville Jaguars... I didn't really think they could do it, didn't get all the <laughs> they love. They have
1: shown us a damn thing. No, no. Uh,
3: so for me, personally speaking, like I was really high on the Chargers and we, you know, we'll, we'll continue that sob story. So they, they're a little, you know, they were loaded with some talent this year. I don't think a lot of people realized all the injuries they suffered in previous seasons and why we were high on them this year. They got hit with the injury bug again this season, even worse than before.
1: Double up next year, win total division AFC <laughs> Super Bowl futures. Double up, triple up, whatever it takes.
3: Yeah, uh, so I mean, for us, that that's that was the one disappointment, and you know it's just tough to see all the injuries. So that was very disappointing to us. Um, I think everybody else kind of performed how we might have thought. I mean, again, the Bengals—they're probably an underachiever, but we expected that. Saw a ton of resistance on that win total, nine and a half down to some of the sharper shops, eight and a half when that thing closed. Um, so you know that was probably a disappointing season, but. You know the Chargers for us, just what we kind of endeared personally with them all season.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's only fitting that the Chargers win total fate was cemented at the hands of the Cleveland Browns, obviously (laughs) coming up well short there, but that was everything in a microcosm, all things NFL regular season, and of course paying our loyal listeners, they love our regular season thoughts, but they want to know what we're thinking on the playoffs, but before we get to the games, we head out to places unknown. Time to welcome in our weekly contributor, Dave Mason of Bad Online. Of course, you can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Mason, B O L. And Dave, before we get into football, I want to know if there's any truth to the rumor that it took you around 72 hours to recover from your New Year's Eve bender. <laughs>
2: No man, you got bad intel. I think I was in bed by ten thirty. I'm getting old, man. I can't do it anymore. Not I, that, the rocket,
1: that, not, not, not the, the party, party or you weren't to were, huh?
2: No man, no. I'm getting an old turd. I'm waking up at five thirty every morning. It, it's brutal. Hey, you could offer me a million dollars and say, Dave, if you sleep in till seven a.m. tomorrow, this million dollars is yours. Hey, you might as well flush that million dollars down the toilet. I, I can't do it. It's brutal. Sleeping in is now at six thirty. I mean, I feel like it. I feel like my parents. Ugh.
1: That's probably not because you're a dollar guy anymore. You're a Bitcoin guy. If we offered you a million dollars in Bitcoin, then you'd be
2: all about it. Yeah, I guess. Anyways, uh, what's up? All
1: right. When we, when we look back at the college football playoff, two anticlimactic games, so to speak, uh, on Saturday in the semifinals. In Week 17, not a whole lot aside from the Sunday night game that you mentioned, Green Bay and Detroit. Uh, what betting handle look like over the holiday weekend across college football? <laughs>
2: It was, well, college was awesome. It's through the roof. You know, there's some really great games. Um, so that was great. Um, it wasn't as profitable as the other college bowl game. The bowls have been as, as tough as NFL has been over the last few weeks, last month or, yeah, month and a half, I guess. I mean, the college bowls are really good for the house. So It was one of those give and take kind of situations where the players were in NFL, but we're winning the bowls. But uh, the bowls were a little tougher for the house this past weekend. And, uh, but we still did okay. Uh uh, NFL, you know, <laughs> it closed the season. Out with, how it was, it's been going. The, the the players won, and the action was pretty good. Actually, you know, usually those week seventeen games are, you know, the only action you get are on the real big playoff uh, implication games, like that Sunday night game. But, but you know, there, there's decent action on like the Arizona. What was who did Arizona play? Like the Rams or something? There, were still, or I forget who they played. I can't remember who they. No, played, you're right. But they're, they're, yeah, Arizona yeah. I mean, there's. I mean, I I, you know, I looked at the action. I was like expecting like three bets, but I mean, there there was a ton of action on that game. So we're happy with that, you know. And then, 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 like I said, it you know, broken record time. But I work on more of the marketing side of things, so I'm always looking at that, you know, are people betting, you know, not just who do we need, but I look at more importantly, are people betting? What's the total handle, uh, the total actives, and we're real happy with that over past weekend so um yeah but you know (laughs) sunday went to the players again so we're kind of just used to it. it's like uh players won an nfl again big deal (laughs) mason
3: Mason, as we transition to the uh the national championship game four days away right uh, what's the betting handle looking on that right now and are you guys going to have a major decision for the house
2: oh yes big decision it's going to be massive we're going to be big time alabama fans um as far as spread is concerned about 65% of the money is taking the points in Clemson. That's at plus 6.5 right now. But the money line is going to be the whopper. Uh, 91% of the bets so far on Clemson, plus 220. So roll, Todd.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's rare that you get a chance to root for Alabama. Normally they have to be a thorn in your side, Dave. And I'd have to think when you get into the playoffs, these are teams that have typically been very good to the players what is the wild card weekend uh, shaping up to look like? We know we start with a game uh, that we'll, of course, get into in greater detail in the podcast that won't attract casual fan involvement with Oakland and Houston. Uh, but the other three games, I'd imagine, betting handle pretty healthy thus far.
2: Yeah. Now, uh, the. The betting handle has been good. Actually, the, the least amount of betting handle so far is Lions-Seahawks. There's actually more money on the Texans-Raiders right wow. now. Yeah, I mean that that has a lot to do with it's the first game. So, you know, say if a guy only has, you know, is down to his last uh, unit worth of money in his account. He'll put it on the first game, and if he wins, then he, you know, he keeps going over. So a lot of time that's why the early games have more money on them. Um, and then they just keep rolling it over. If they they win, now they got the 25 guy. Our better has only 25 in his account. He's putting on the first game. If he wins, he has 50, and he can bet the next game. If not, then he reloads and goes from there. So that has a lot to do with that. Um, but anyways, who, who do we need? What were you gonna say, Payne?
3: That's a hell of a strategy. I think Todd maybe employs that one. Uh, but, I, uh,
2: just, just so
1: you know, <laughs> when I was younger and I had a lot fewer uh, dollars in my recreational betting account, I was a huge fan of the if bet. Yeah, exactly. So, you know What I would do is I would bet the fir- the second, le- whatever it was, the first game of the weekend, that would right. be the second leg of an if bet, so I had rooting interest, but I didn't know if I was actually going to have action on that game until a later game won.
3: Exactly. Jesus. Yeah. Any credibility we has out the damn window. now. (laughs) Everyone
1: goes through a learning curve. You have to make mistakes before you know how to win. And it goes back to one of my favorite gambling movies, slightly underrated, the movie Maverick where Mel Gibson loses money at the poker table for two hours so he can figure out how to win eventually and pick up everybody's tells. But I- Let's get this back on track. Mason, any <laughs> any professional side so far
3: in the uh, NFL playoffs?
2: Professional, professional. What do we got here? Just a little bit. Um, and then that early professional action, which is, you know, sometimes you don't know how sharp it is. You know, it could be phony or whatever. But we saw Texans minus three. That's now minus three and a half. Pittsburgh minus nine. That's now minus ten. On that national title game, we saw both sides. We saw some sharp action on plus seven and then uh, minus six and a half on Alabama. So that's just sharp stuff. Public sides for the NFL games, 61% of the bets are on the Texans. Um, About 70% of the cash is on the Texans. For the Lions-Seahawks, that's that's a little – you get 65% of the – bets are on the Lions, but 51% of the money is on the Seahawks, so that's a little bit of reversed. and the Steelers game is even more reversed, where 55% of the bets are on the Finns, but 69% of the bets are on the Steelers, that has a lot to do with that sharp action I, I just mentioned, where the bigger size bets are coming in on the Steelers, and last but not least, about 55% of the bets and money is on the Packers.
1: And Dave, when we talk about wrapping up Wild Card Week and looking towards a divisional round, safe to say that as soon as that Giants and Packers game goes final, you guys will have uh, opening numbers allowing players to take full advantage of the rebat functionality and whatnot?
2: Oh, of course. The, our NFL early openers open at 1000 bucks, and you can rebet that every 60 seconds or an odds change. So, you know, you got to come, oh, my God, you only open for 1000 bucks. It's like, well, that, first of all, 99% of the people – that's perfectly fine for them, but if you, if you are betting over a thousand bucks, then just keep hitting it every minute, and you can get down for ten thousand bucks within ten minutes. So come and get it.
1: <laughs> and for folks looking to try and uh, reload their accounts or maybe open an account if they're first time players at Bet Online, just in time for the postseason, uh, what kind of bonuses can our Bet the Board listeners anticipate?
2: If you do not have a BetOnline.ag account, get on over there and sign up. It only takes a couple minutes. Use promo code 75BTB for a 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a BetOnline account and you have not taken advantage of this reload bonus yet, use promo code 50BTB for a one-time 50% reload bonus. All the terms and conditions and details can be found at promotions.betonline.ag the
1: Dave, always great getting your take. We look forward to 11 remaining meaningful football games on the NFL schedule. We'll see if we can uh, help get you guys back in a positive state of mind for an NFL season that may not have gone to the way you folks in uh, in marketing or risk management would have liked.
2: Nah, man. It's all good, man. People are people are betting, and then actives are up. And, uh, oh, and by the way, our bad beat jackpot, no one's hit that yet. It's over $200,000. Roll Tide. Talk to you guys next week. <laughs>
1: As always, that's Dave Mason. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave DaveMasonBOL, and he joins us each and every Thursday here on the Bet the Board podcast. Big-time Bama fans. Payne, does that surprise you at all, given how popular and public a team like Alabama is in pursuit of their second consecutive national championship?
3: It does a little bit, but Bama didn't look very impressive. They just kind of needed to do what they do, and you get Clemson with a home-run effort blanking out Ohio State first time ever under Urban Meyer. So it doesn't shock me you get that recency bias right in there.
1: Yeah, second straight year, you see the Big Ten champion getting shut out in the college football playoff. Not exactly ideal for a conference on the uptick. We'll get to a deeper dive of the Alabama-Clemson game, uh, but after we cover the Saturday wildcard weekends matchups. However, before we get into the actual games itself, Payne, wanted to get your general thoughts on handicapping the playoffs. I, I know philosophy-wise, things change when you get to the postseason, public perception plays a much bigger role in numbers being set. Maybe not so much this weekend, but moving forward in the divisional round, conference championships, and ultimately the Super Bowl. Uh, but what makes things so much different from a handicapping perspective this time of year?
3: Yeah, this week, uh, bookmakers did a very good job. Uh, there might be one game that's that's really off, and, and you're not really sure you want to invest in that uh, based on some, some underlying things. But there's not a lot of downspots. Everybody's here. Everybody's good. You're going to really have to look for matchups this time of year. What does one team do very well? Is that a glaring weakness of the opponent? So it's a lot more matchup based. There's not going to be this week, not a ton of value. I think there'll be some value next week in specific numbers being mispriced a little bit, but every team wants to be here now. Every team's going to have a home run effort. It might not look like that on the scoreboard when it's complete because there's a mismatch within the game. But it's very few. You're gonna you're gonna get dud efforts. We're just not gonna have that in the playoffs.
1: Well, it makes sense when we talk about trying to figure out matchups and value with the game that will start Wild Card Weekend. Oakland going on the road to the Houston Texans. Of course, the Raiders probably thought they wouldn't have to be playing football on January seventh. They they could probably wait uh, until much later in the season. Major quarterback issues impacting this one for both sides. You're looking at the Houston Texans, a three and a half point favorite at Bet Online. The lowest total we've seen in a football game this year, number at 36. And we may as well start at the most important position of the sport, Connor Cook, getting his first career start in the National Football League opposite Brock Osweiler.
3: Not really sure where to start here. I will say this. I think Connor Cook, cold, off the bench, not many reps, uh, on the road, hostile environment against the number one most efficient defense in the NFL. I think that game action, seeing live bullets fly, outweighs... The Texans now having half a game of tape on him. So I think there was some benefit to that out there but he's a third string quarterback. Uh, I think his draft st- uh, his draft stock dropped a little bit. It gets selected in the fourth round basically because many didn't think he was a, a team guy, a leader. I don't think they're going to ask him to lead in a spot like this so I don't think that's an issue. Uh, for Houston... Brock's back, baby. Uh, (laughs) Bill O'Brien can't love that, obviously, and I think when you look across the field, you see a team with its third-string quarterback. The game plan's pretty simple for the Texans. Run left, run right, run up the middle. Uh, Oakland, 23rd in the NFL. uh, In success rate, they allow 49% of runs to be successful, so you use that two-headed monster, Lamar Miller, Alfred Blue, and make this game a low-variance game at home.
1: Well, you mentioned Lamar Miller. He missed the final two games of the regular season, uh, dealing with some injuries. How healthy do we think their most explosive back is going to be for this matchup? Uh, do we foresee him getting a full workload, whether it's running between the tackles and or catching balls out of the backfield? Uh,
3: <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I'm I mean, I, the familiar, reason I familiar is- with him and in, in his, his posse. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> different I, stakes though for this particular game. Let's leave it at that.
3: I will say he's he's going to play. Uh he's 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 as healthy as he's been in the last few weeks. This has kind of always been the question. You know the Miami Dolphins, they didn't really use him. That was kind of this question mark down here. Why isn't he getting the touches? Why doesn't he get as many carries? And you looked at the Dolphins' success rate when Lamar Miller touched it twenty or more times. I believe they only lost one game in his entire tenure here when he touched it more than 20 times and the knack on him was the durability the size. Did bulk up the last season here in Miami put on 12-15 pounds. They weren't sure if it was going to lose some of the elusiveness but I'll tell you this once Houston paid the lofty price tag on him it's like hey we're going to wear this guy out. Believe he had like 28 carries week one more than anybody in the NFL so they've really ascribed to we're just going to let this guy's treads, you know, we, we paid all this money for him. Yeah, uh, we're going to use our horse. Yep, exactly. So I think we see a full workload from Lamar Miller. He's kind of resting at this point. Alfred Blue, a fine number two, but I think Lamar Miller gets back into it this week.
1: Yeah, Miller's rushing total. Uh, some Vegas numbers I've seen out there. Right around 75.5 rushing yards, you'd have to anticipate at least 15 to 20 carries. I would think to feel comfortable even considering going over in that game. You mentioned Connor Cook going up against the Texans' defense, and we know Brock against the Raiders' defense. Safe to say that there is a decided edge to Brock given the familiarity he has with Oakland having played that game back in Monday Night Football, and you can make the case that that might have been one of Brock's best performances of the entire regular season.
3: It was, and this is the reason why we haven't really bought in to the Oakland Raiders. I mean, that defense is very bad. The secondary has not been good. A lot of moving parts there. They will get Carl Joseph back, I'm told, this week, so that's an added dimension there, but the defense, they can't stop the run, they can't stop the pass. Brock got some reps last week. I'm not going to say he willed his team back, but he at least made it somewhat competitive. Tom Savage, I don't know what Tom Savage is. Maybe this is an equal grade out. I don't know. I, a lot of pressure here for Brock. He's had some playoff experience. Obviously, that's big. I'll tell you this, in terms of the number, it's just just so shocking to me, this game, because nobody in the world, wise guys, the public, they haven't liked Houston all season. One specific group has loved Oakland all season. The public has loved Oakland. It's the complete opposite for this game. It's amazing what a quarterback can do. All of a sudden, you know, we're all in on Brock. I would think, and we saw it a little bit this morning, I thought four and a half would get some sharp guys to the party on Oakland. Yep. Four. It went to four today and and limits a little bit on the rise today. Uh, Four is gone now at one of the sharper shops. So I think three and a half, probably the right number. Uh, I think if it got back to four and a half we'd, we'd see a small buy, a value buy from professionals on Oakland.
1: And this number of course uh, Dave Mason and company at Online, I believe opened one and a half. You immediately saw that price start to take off. So much quarterback speculation there uh, when they first released these numbers. The total though Payne, I wanted to get your thoughts there. It is a low number. We know that as we mentioned, the Texans, if they're smart, are going to play a low-variance football game, rely on their defense. Punting in this particular atmosphere isn't a bad thing, as we saw them do against the Cincinnati Bengals when Tom Savage struggled. Is the total too low, though, with two turnover-prone quarterbacks? And I guess I never thought, when you told, would tell me there was going to be a 36-hung during this NFL season, that it would involve the Oakland Raiders.
3: We've always talked about 37 being uh, the most prevalent key number totals, but that was you know for like 1920. Uh
1: <laughs> yeah, that was old school thinking. It's not quite the way in 2016-2017. <laughs>
3: but here we are. It feels like 1920 with these two quarterbacks. Yeah, it's going to be a low variance game. We did see shops that opened 37 and a half above that key got hit down. Uh I I will say that 36 is very low. I mean, it requires everything to go right. You can't have a defensive touchdown 17
1: and at 17 and a half in the first half we're yeah. talking 17 and a half
3: when you're I mean and, and that would be the part where you see the low variance game no one wanting to make a mistake early on but then once potentially game tempos change you maybe get one good drive from Houston and then a defensive score special team score and suddenly it's 14 nothing Connor cooks forced and, and Oakland's forced to start throwing the ball a little bit the problem is the total is going to stay under if this remains a close game uh If someone leaks out, you know, the tempo changes, the game plan changes, you adjust. And so we have seen guys just at its core, say 36 is too low. It's come in off the screen, obviously. Um, But there has been a sentiment for a little bit of the over at 36 off that key number on the screen. We did see the move under. Uh, for me, I just don't feel like this is going to be a game I'm involved in at all. And I was just stunned. That was the most shocking part of the Mason interview. And maybe I'm my brain doesn't think that way, but that was shocking to me. The like this is one of our more bet games so far because of the philosophy of if Joe has 20 dollars, fifty dollars in his account, he's betting that game to try to double it down. I just my, my brain doesn't think that way, but that was shocking to hear from Mason.
1: Yeah, it's it's basically a four-game sprint now. I mean, I talked to some recreational bettors and. I get texted early in the week, hey, who do we like in the games on Saturday and Sunday? And banish the thought that I say, I don't really see a whole lot of value. They go, wait, there's only 11 NFL games left. I have to bet something side total or prop to be invested. And of course, here on Bet the Board, as we tell people all the time, there's no reason to try and force action. If we don't think there's an edge doing this day in, day out, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we're not going to come here and tell you to run to the window with a bet. I know it doesn't make people happy, but that's just the reality of the business we're in, Payne.
3: There's there's a lot of stuff out there. You could, you could probably, you know, every single place has a free pick. You could probably find a free pick that... Uh... Ends up not being free. Yeah.
1: What, what is your favorite line There's uh, Just because something's free doesn't mean it adds value.
3: Yeah, that sounds good. That's about right. You didn't bore yeah. it completely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was an econ guy, and the first thing they told me, day one, my freshman year in college, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and I think that more or less applies every which way to the gambling industry um, on a number of levels. But I don't want to go on a rant. Uh, we have a busy agenda and syllabus in front of us. For those folks looking for more of that kind of gambling acumen, though you can follow Payne on Twitter, at Payne Insider. You can follow me there as well, at Todd Furman. And, of course, the official podcast account, at BetTheBoardPodPayne. We flirt with 3,000 followers. Hopefully, uh, folks that aren't already following the account decide to click that little follow button, get us there as we head to the postseason. Some great articles coming down the chute and some off-the-wall things that they can expect by following that account. From Saturday afternoon to Saturday evening out in the Pacific Northwest, where Detroit will go on the road to take on the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, an eight-point favorite at online Total in this game, 43. Paying Detroit a little bit of an unenviable scheduling situation. Monday night football against the Dallas Cowboys, where they were boat racing the second half. Sunday night football in a game for the division against the Green Bay Packers that didn't go so well. Now a short week traveling across multiple time zones to take on a Seattle team who, while maybe a shadow of them for their former selves, still one of the more formidable home field advantages in the entire National Football League.
3: This, to me, for some reason, I just want to see this game play out. There's just so much going on here. When you look at Detroit, trailed in 15 of 16 fourth quarters, I'm not quite sure they're good enough to be here in this spot. Apparently, the public thinks they are. Uh, (laughs) This is a public dog. Uh, So, for me, you couldn't pay me to be on Detroit here. It's, It's pretty simple. I'll, I'll tell you this, when you look at how Detroit moves the ball, they're not an explosive offense. They're dink and dunk. And traditionally, Seattle's defense has eaten those kind of offenses up. Uh, but I'm not sure this is the same Seattle defense. We've talked about this, and it's shocking. If you look at some of the efficiency numbers, they did start to trend lower. I believe they finished the season fifth in defensive efficiency. But when you look at success rate, uh, the Seattle defense, 19th. And run success rate defense, 18th in pass success defense, but it's gotten worse as things have gone on. Earl Thomas out, some injuries on that side. So that's going to be the key here. Can Detroit maintain possession? Can they? They're going to have these long drives. That's how their offense moves, not an explosive offense. So that'll be interesting to see if they have some success there um, in that setting. Stafford. Listen, the guy's battling through it. He's saying all the right things. That is a question mark there when you look at his numbers. His previous 20 games before the finger injury, 40 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. In his 4 games since, 3 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. Some of those long throws, they haven't been there. They haven't ac- They haven't been accurate. The ball's floating a little bit on him. Uh, so for me, you couldn't pay me to be on
1: Detroit here. A question for you on Stafford's finger injury, and you never know what to make of injury reports. This was the first week on Tuesday uh, since injuring that finger. Stafford wasn't listed on the report. Uh, am I making too much out of nothing? Do we think it's closer to being healed, or is this just more cat and mouse that the Detroit Lions are playing uh, in risking breach of the injury disclosure policies?
3: I'm told it's going to need a little bit of surgery. So, I mean, I, I don't think it's getting any better. Maybe he's adjusting to life, dealing with it better. Uh, yep. That would be what I think maybe is the case here. Maybe a little cat and mouse for sure. Uh, the key here, and you know, Detroit has gotten a little bit better of a ground game the last few weeks going to Zenner. That's probably going to be the key here. What will be interesting with this total is Detroit's defense. That that's the question mark here. They have shown some improvements, but it's still bad. It's still very bad. Darius Slay, he did play last week. Kind of a shell of himself. He was kind of just out there hobbling around. Uh, If Seattle gets this game going, and again, it's all about dictating pace. If Seattle comes out and scores early forces, Detroit into this pass-happy offense, they have a tough time protecting. There could be some turnovers in that regard. The weather looks so far so good. There was supposed to be a massive rain coming in. That's why we saw this total tick down initially from 44.5 down to as low as 42.5. It looks like that's going to hold off until Sunday. Um, and that's why we've seen this, you know, the true position kind of tick back up. We're, we're kind of trending towards 43.5 here. Um, so there was some value at 42.5 if if Detroit has to play that come from behind game, like the, the line tells us they're going to have to. Um, but, you know, what, what did you, the total you made 45, I made it 44, 44.5 right where it opens. So not a ton of value there right there either. Like these lines are very good this week.
1: Yeah, no, I feel like uh, oddsmakers did a tremendous job setting these numbers. And yeah, I did make the total a little bit higher. Uh, But as you mentioned, so much of that predicated and dictated by pace and tempo. If Seattle gets out to an early lead like we've seen the Seahawks do, trying to pounce on their opponents, forcing Detroit to play, play from behind, maybe abandon the ground game, not only does it open them up to trying to throw on every play, but Seattle, the strength of this defense, at least as far as my metrics are concerned, so you can say what you want about the secondary, we can say what we want about their inability to consistently stop the run, they can still rush the passer with the best of them in this week. Yep,
3: league. yep, and, and we know Stafford, when I mean, he gets a little pressure on him with the finger, he's going to make a couple mistakes, so for me, not a ton, you know, I would say, you know, Seattle makes a fantastic teaser, like, the problem is, you know, finding someone to pair them with, um, maybe we can do that, but, you know, right now, I don't have a, a, a pair for it, I don't have a match with it, so you mean, you're not
1: gonna you're not gonna suggest teasing it with a uh, one of the combatants in the FCS championship Saturday morning between <laughs> James Madison and Youngstown State.
3: No, no, no. I do like James Madison though. That was
1: a uh, North Dakota State. Is that who they? Uh, yeah, they beat North yeah, Dakota State, but was, a little bigger nice. number than anticipated. I think nice. a lot of us were surprised to see uh, JMU open up as an eight point shock. But this is not an FCS podcast. I have no intentions uh, of doing a deep dive, despite JMU having a running back. Uh, that's similar to the mold of a Terrence West that'll probably be playing on Sundays at some point in the near future. So we can uh, come away from that. And and I guess th- that begs the question then, Payne. When we look at this side in total, we think the numbers pretty much spot on to where they need to be given the uh, expectations from this matchup. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh,
3: if this goes to 10, obviously, you know, Seattle's taking some very sharp money. But I think in this time slot, in this spot, like, I, you know, I'm not taking it with Detroit, obviously. Um, it would be lay it or don't play it, and I'm not going to lay it. If I did lay it, it's because I found a, a match in the teaser world. So um, that'd be the only thing I'd consider for, for Seattle. At this point, probably when this comes out, you're looking at a total of 43 and a half ish. Uh, so not a ton of value there at that current number either.
1: Yeah, and like we tell folks all the time, explore those derivative markets. There's nothing wrong with waiting until halftime to try and get invested if there's nothing that tickles your fancy going into the pre match. From the professional ranks, let's transition real quickly to the amateur ranks. And the national championship taking place at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa on Monday night. Pain, where Alabama and Clemson, a rematch of last year's game. You're looking at Alabama, obviously the favorite in this one. Six and a half point chalk at bat online total in this game. Fifty and a half trending under We talked about Dave saying that they're going to be big Alabama fans. I mean, you mentioned it. I found that just as surprising. We know about the money line liability in a game of this magnitude, but the fact that the public remembers what they saw last, which is Alabama struggling to put away a pesky Washington inside, Clemson getting out early and being able to boat race Ohio State. But Payne, this is a number. Had the game been played as a semifinal matchup, we'd have been talking about Alabama a 9.5 or 10-point favorite here.
3: Well, the look-ahead line, and we talked about this a little bit on our Bowl podcast with Clay Travis, we were looking at the look ahead numbers. They were twelve.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a piece. Of, I have a piece of a look ahead number. Now, I did have to lay a little bit of juice. I took plus twelve at minus a dollar thirty. Now, puts me in a good spot. I'm still not sure I really like the position though.
3: Right, and I said initially, like that's you know that's the worst line ever. But there was some eleven and a half out there as as well, uh, minus ten. So from that perspective, it was it was very bad. Um, and I said that on the Bowl podcast, but six and a half seven, like that's my number there's not a lot of value in this but I will tell you this, when you look at this game I think already one one group's kind of tipped their hand, they laid some six Um, there have been obviously at open, there were some sharp guys kind of taking the points based on where the market would go, it would be an easy siding easy get off Um, when you look at this game, I'll tell you this Bama wasn't forced to do anything And I know there's a lot of guys, a lot of sharp guys on Washington. I saw guys coming in at halftime, taking Washington. They could have got 17 adjusted. I don't know what they saw in that game. Like, Bama wasn't forced to do anything. And we're in the investment business. I have to be unbiased. Maybe if I just start talking sports, like, I'll be nice Jake Browning stinks. We said that on no. the Bull Podcast. Since He's,
1: when do we want you to be nice and just start talking sports? If we can't make money off your opinions, then what the hell are the two of us doing here?
3: So that's just kind of the reality of the situation. Bama never felt forced to do anything offensively. Never. They just no. They were the ball never ball taken out of they kept never the taken variance. out of their comfort zone. Yeah, left, even
1: when they trailed seven nothing,
3: left a low variance game plan out there, and now you're seeing Clemson. They look like world beaters. And I, you know. I'm adamant about Clemson. Everybody was off the Clemson train after like three weeks, and I said, their A game is the second best A game in college football. And you saw their A game. And they're going to have weapons this time. They scored 40 last year. That was without Williams and Kane. They have Williams and Kane. The one matchup issue here, and why I think, you know, there could be some issues with Bama, is that secondary. Eddie Jackson gone. They're going to have some issues. Like, Clemson's going to be able to exploit that secondary. Um, so for me, you know, not going to. The total keeps sticking down here a little bit. Uh, going to be interesting to see what that total does on game day. This is the exact we- total that they used last year. Opened like 53.5, 54, came down to like 50.5, went back up to 51, closed like 50, 50.5. So this is like the identical total. And I get Bama doesn't have the same athletes as they did A season ago. I mean, I think Travis Henry, probably an upgrade. I know Bo Scarbo finally healthy. They finally got him acclimated a little bit, but you don't have that speed back in Kenyon Drake to accompany him. So I think that hurts a little bit. I don't think their offense um, is as good as it was last season. I think the defense may be a little bit better in terms of playing a spaced out type of offense, but that secondary is going to be tested.
1: Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, when we talk about this game and you discuss a lot of things, if Clemson gets an early lead, They're going to feel a little bit more threatened, Alabama, that is, by Clemson's offensive firepower than they did by Washington. And I think you could see the game change considerably, that if you're sitting on an overticket and Clemson scores on its opening drive, this thing opens up pretty damn quickly.
3: Absolutely. Uh, And I I guess the
1: the follow-up question to that, then, Payne, from a handicapping perspective, and we know we don't see this all the time in the NFL, not in games of this magnitude, you know, what do we make of Nick Saban pretty much telling Lane Kiffin to get bent, get lost. We know Lane's been on his His save-his-reputation publicity tour all week long. But with Sark taking over play, calling duties, a young quarterback and Jalen Hurts hearing a different voice in his ear for the first time all season, is that a good thing for Alabama, is that a bad thing for Alabama, or is that a no impact whatsoever on Alabama?
3: A couple things. I think, by nature, they're a run-first team. I don't think the voice change is a big deal. They've already hired Sark, so this is kind of a very easy transition. Uh, we do know Lane liked to open things up a little bit more. Um, Sark will take some shots. I feel bad for Lane. And I know you took the, the opposite stance on Twitter. I saw that. But like, Sabin was the guy that initiated the press conference and talking about the mutual parting. So, I think Kiffin's fine. He's already got a job, one, and he was just kind of re-cementing what Saban said about it being mutual. We know the control freak that Saban is, and with 30 days prep between the semi-final, Lane could kind of do both. But as you know, the demand Saban has put on his guys this week basically camping out at the offices since they got back, sleeping <laughs> at the office that's yeah. not something Lane was going to do. And I think Saban knew that, and they kind of just both parted ways. It is what it is at this point. I think the tone was kind of set. When you leave Lane... Behind once again last week, so uh, I don't think that's I don't think it's a big deal this week. I really don't.
1: Yeah, I don't think uh, I. I mean, I just really don't know what to make of it. That's part of the reason I wanted to try and get your thoughts. It doesn't do much uh, for me in terms of adjusting a Nothing. number, a half a point or a full point there, Nothing. total wise. Uh, I think Sark may stay a little bit more committed to the ground game. Don't really believe he has the mentality that he consistently has to be the smartest man in the room. Sometimes the feeling I get from Lane Kiffin wanting to prove one thing or another rather than sticking with what works but what should be a fascinating game and I think as this total trends down the over would definitely warrant a long look from both of us uh, knowing how this game could play out the big question here is what that track will look like hearing mixed reviews on field conditions out there at Raymond James Stadium uh, we'll know a lot more as we get closer to Monday if it's a slick track sometimes that can work in the offense's favor if they know where they're going it looks like from a forecast perspective the weather should be pretty good
3: yeah it looks like the rain is going to come in a couple days before. It'll be interesting. What? Were, I'm not going to play a turfologist here, but uh, they were growing grass, growing new grass.
1: It's going to be resodded, is what they said. It's going to be a I was brand, told they were brand growing new, sod new out grass out, out
3: at a different location that they were going to implement and bring in for this game. Well, yeah,
1: that's what they'll basically grow the grass sod, call it what you will. Then they'll bring that in. Now, I mean, that can do There's one of two, two things. Special
3: grass. And look, a grass they've been growing for months and months.
1: It'll look pretty. It'll look pretty to all of us on the outside looking in. Uh, if you listen to players and read comments, oftentimes if that sod doesn't take, it's not always the best thing, and you see it get chunked up. I think regardless of what happens, we saw field conditions look about as bad as they could in the Rose Bowl, and it didn't keep Penn State and USC from scoring north of 100 points. No, very slippery so. surface. Yeah, so we, we will factor that in. But either way, it should be a great game, and I think a lot of uh, the game that most of us in the college football world wanted to see, I'm not sure the networks will love it, which essentially amounts to two regional brands going head-to-head. Pretty sure they would have preferred Alabama and Ohio State, but thankfully we're not in the TV business. We're in the gambling business and the entertainment side of things. So from the amateur ranks on Monday back to Sunday football, where the Miami Dolphins go on the road to frigid Heinz Field to take on the Steelers. Looking at Pittsburgh, a 10-point favorite here. Paying total in the game, 46. Mason mentioned it first and foremost. There was some sharp money initially on Pittsburgh. And while oftentimes he said he doesn't know if that's going to be the ultimate intent intent of the position, I'll make the case that I think that was very real money from the pros that came in on the black and gold.
3: Yeah, I won't uh, argue that. I will say this, though. Power numbers-wise, Miami's been tough to figure out because all the metrics are very bad, especially on defense. So that's kind of a tough thing to correlate to a power number. So when you look at like wins and losses and things of that nature, you're probably looking at a seven and a half or an eight here on a line where you find that value. And it appears a lot of professionals have found that value is digging deep into that number, looking at some of the uh, metrics, and they're not very favorable for the Dolphins in this game. Then you add revenge and things like that. This is also, I was reading, first playoff game with Big Ben Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell playing together—is that accurate?
1: Yeah, that, that with everybody with their full complement of the big three healthy because last year uh, against Cincinnati they didn't have all those guys and we know how banged up everybody was for their trip their ill fated trip to Denver.
3: Yeah, so that I mean that's obviously an added element here. Uh, what is Pittsburgh? I don't know. They've come along. I, when, when, I don't think
1: they're as good as their seven game win streak. Let me just say that
3: one 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 of those teams is in the playoffs. So they, of those seven teams, only one made the playoffs. It was the Giants I believe. I will say this there has been improvements from Pittsburgh de- Pittsburgh's defense in terms of getting to the quarterback. When we talked like the first month of the season, I believe they had like one sack uh, they have 38 now. So they're getting to the quarterback a little bit better that could be due to the schedule uh, the pass defense has gotten a little bit better, but where they have really taken a deep precipitous drop, is they can't stop the run. Uh, 4.3 yards on the season they're giving up. The last month, nearly five yards on the ground. Last week, I know, it was a little bit of a meaningless game, but your defensive starters still played. Gave up seven yards of carry last week to the Browns. Uh, So that's going to be where Miami is looking to take this game. And it's partially why we've seen this total drop from 47.5 down to as low as 45.5. That is going to have to be the mentality of the Dolphins run right, run left, shorten this game. They use Jay Ajayi in that format against Pittsburgh the first time, has over 200 yards. So that's going to be the key here for this game is is can they shorten it? Can they get the ground game established?
1: Do you think they'll be able to get the ground game established? We heard Tomlin's comments. He knows first and foremost eliminate Jay Ajayi from the big play, hold him in check, and force Matt Moore to beat him with his arm.
3: One thing when you look at the Success metrics for the Dolphins' ground game. It hasn't been great, but they've been able to hit the big play, the explosive play. Uh, and that's because Jay Ajayi has really been able to. He's avoiding a lot of tackles. He's breaking a ton of tackles. His yards after contact are fantastic this season. The Miami Dolphins' ground game did take a step back um, when they lost Pouncey at center. They're still dealing with some injuries on that offensive line. Brandon Elbert still dealing with the wrist. Tunzel still dealing with the shoulder injury. So, They're not 100% healthy, but they have been able to run the ball effectively. And it might not need to be an effective ground game this week. It might just need to be one where you're able to churn out three yards of pop, keep the defense honest, and allow Matt Moore to take a couple deep shots down the field.
1: When we look at things on the other side, what do we think about, I mean, Miami, if Pittsburgh gets out ahead, will it be like a freight train on the tracks with Miami having absolutely no answers for the Steelers? Offense working with a full complement of weapons. Revenge from earlier. Big Ben will be healthy. You know, all the things working in Pittsburgh's favor. And I laugh because of the difference in situation pain. Pittsburgh had to go down there and play in blistering heat when it was 80 degrees wearing their black jerseys. Now they get to return the favor. Miami heads up north to play in what could be single-degree weather kickoff.
3: Yeah, I mean, a couple things there. One, we've told you all along, this Dolphins defense isn't very good. It's extremely thin. Vance Joseph has done fantastic work mixing and matching pieces and parts. They play a bend but don't break. They've given up more yards in the NFL than anybody else. Uh, They've been on the field more than anybody else. They really rely on getting off the field on third down. Uh, They rely on the turnover. And so that's going to be the question. Can they get off the field on third down? Can they turn Big Ben over just a little bit? Vance Joseph knows this guy in and out. He's been with Cincinnati the last two seasons. Wasn't successful in 2014. Big Ben kind of tore that uh, Bengals defense up a little bit. Had more success last season um, in in three of their matchups. So that's going to be the question. Vance Joseph does a lot of things to disguise. You know, Big Ben did get injured in that game, but he got injured for a reason. Uh, There was some pressure on him. He disguised a lot of his coverages. Big Ben made a lot of mistakes in that game. So that's going to be the key. If Miami can run the ball, uh, if they can get off the field on third down, if they can cause a turnover or two, 10, 10 10.5 is going to be way too much. Uh, But this could really be a landslide if they don't get that ground game going and you have to rely on Matt Moore. I will say this. I banged the table for Matt Moore when he made his first start against the Jets. Every single wise guy was on New York. Uh, the media had no clue what Matt Moore was. The drop-off here isn't as significant as people thought, and now it's coming full circle. We've talked about Matt Moore, California cool, nothing bothers him, and when you combine him with Adam Gase, the QB whisperer who's won playoff games with Tim Tebow against elite defenses, turned Jay Cutler into having one of his best seasons ever. Um It shouldn't come as a shock, and when you look at this, Matt Moore, I'm looking at these numbers right now, he's completed over 63% of his pass attempts. He's averaged 8.3 yards per pass attempt. Tannehill, 7.7. Matt Moore, 3-1 to to touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's only been sacked one time, so he has that pocket presence. That's been the knack on Tannehill, his lack of awareness, his pocket presence over the years. Matt Moore, he's got 106 quarterback passer rating. Tannehill only had 94, so the drop-off isn't that significant there, but one thing we know about Matt Moore is he will take the deep shot, sometimes forces it uh, when it's not there, not great underneath, but that's going to be the key. If they can run the ball a little bit, they have a capable passer here. Um,
1: California cool going into the frigid temperatures. See, that's the question.
3: This is the one thing that we want to touch on here. The cold weather. This stuff's going to drive me nuts because it becomes this blanket statement. The team from Miami not going to be very good in the cold. Like this is an NFL. Players get drafted, so one thing you want to look at is, you know, are the 19 starters uh, were they born in the Northeast? Did they play their college football in the Northeast? Uh, Of the 53, they're going to be playing. Did did 42 of them play college football in the Northeast? So like, like these aren't guys that just were like born and raised in Miami and they're just playing in the Dolphins. So that's one thing you want to look at. And I know a lot of people will talk about this, like December record. Like let's just put this out there: the Dolphins literally have been one notch above the Cleveland Browns. Like that's reality. I'm a Dolphins fan. That's that's just what it is. Um, so when you look at them over the course of time, they're not very good in September either. Why is that? Because they're not very good. They're twelve and twenty-seven in September, warm weather months where they should be using, you know, being in shape a little bit better and using that heat to their advantage. Uh, it's it's the concept of, hey, the Seattle Seahawks, their home field advantage is worth four and a half. But if you suck the Cleveland Browns in Seattle, is that the same home field advantage? No. <laughs> you know, and that's the same concept here when you talk about cold weather. There's this, I believe, three seasons ago, Miami went in December 8th, beat Pittsburgh outright in the snowstorm. So, you know, a lot of that is overhyped. It's narrative. You want to really look into things like this. How many players... Played their college ball in cold weather before you start making these blanket statements.
1: Jayjay, the pride of Boise State, it's not exactly a balmy and tropical up there on that Smurf turf.
3: No, no, not at all. So that's the one thing you're going to want to look at uh, when you start making like blanket statements like that. And you start, you know, assessing all these teams. You know, the Cleveland Browns' home field advantage. Well, it's not good because they're not good, also you know same thing the dolphins aren't good in cold weather it's because you know you could play a game on the sun or you could play it in alaska in your skivvies they weren't very good for the last 12 seasons 11 seasons um, so you definitely want to look into things like that before saying you know what they're from miami uh, they're not going to be good in cold and the reason they lose this week isn't going to be because it's cold it's because you know the defense finally wore down the defense is thin things of that nature
1: it's a big number. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. And for those folks who want to track all of their numbers, NFL or otherwise, in real time, I encourage you to check out Don Best Mobile App. Go to donbest.com. Mobile app, we have a special promotion if you check it out on the Twitter feed. One free month of service, whether you want real-time odds directly to your iPhone or Android. There's a little bit of a delay if you want to take the cheaper alternative, but it's a tool that Payne and I don't leave home without. And if you want to take your gambling to the next level in 2017, make the small investment, get the best of the number. No excuse this time of year. If you like an underdog, take in 10 when 10.5 10 is out there. Or if you like the favorite, laying 10 in a game like this, uh, if the number does trend down to 9.5
3: yeah no doubt about it I and, and I, I say this all the time uh, I use it every day it's on as I'm sleeping it doesn't get turned off ever and in fact it doesn't get turned off when we do podcasts I know there's a couple of our <laughs> listeners saying hey <laughs> we, you, did, you, did you did you, you have some Filipino lady over there like under your desk doing your fi- no it's it's on all the time so you'll hear those like steam play steam play I did turn it off during Mason's interview this week um, the alert the alert signal thing I've, I've got it quiet so no one hears it anymore but I use it non-stop, 24-7, being able to uh, find the best lines at ease, knowing which sportsbook I need to log into, just saves so much time where you potentially might miss a number. Uh, it's it's worth its weight in gold.
1: Yeah, whether it's Bet Online or another local shop out here in the desert, uh, definitely a tool that any serious better should not be without. And Payne mentions the desktop variation. If folks are interested in going for the Cadillac version, shoot us a message on... The board podcast uh, Twitter account at BetTheBoardPod, and we'll see what we can do to try and negotiate a little bit of a special there. On to the marquee matchup pain of the weekend, and as always, the big game breakdown brought to you courtesy of the American Gaming Association. You can see all the great work they're doing for ongoing legalization efforts here in this country at AmericanGaming.org. Follow them on Twitter at AmerGaming, A M E R G A M I N G A S S N. It is the mission of the AGA to be the single most effective champion of the industry, relentlessly protecting against harmful and often misinformed public policies, and paving a path for growth, innovation, and reinvestment. If you're interested in learning more about all of their efforts, go to the website, americangaming.org backslash about, backslash contact. You can get a newsletter delivered right to your inbox. You get articles, interviews, everything you need to be well informed on this issue. Hopefully you can circulate that amongst your gambling colleagues, uh, anything that we can do to try and continue to push this effort forward does us all a service. Frozen tundra of Lambeau Field, and it should be frozen if you believe what the weathermen are saying. Pain. Green Bay, a four and a half point favorite, playing host to the New York Giants. Total on this game, 44 and a half. I guess we'll start with the elephant in the room. Can we finally put to bed this Giants being down in Miami on their off day story? Michael Jordan used to gamble. He'd play golf before the social media era didn't stop him from winning championships. And I'm not putting Odell Beckham and Eli Manning there, but I feel like we're holding people in a fishbowl in this day and age. Uh, they can do multiple things and still be equipped and ready to go on Sunday. Yeah. I
3: mean, I was going to let you further your rant a little bit. Well, but I'm not sure. Well, I'm not
1: sure. Hold on a second. All right, then I will go further on my rant. <laughs> I feel like, you know, everything there, you have phones and you're taking pictures, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, I don't care what it is. These players have lives too. What do you do when you leave your job Monday through Friday? No one chronicles your entire escapades on Saturday and Sunday. I know what I do on Tuesday nights throughout the course of the NFL season. That doesn't stop, Wild, me baby. For, yeah, it doesn't stop me from performing where I need to be for podcast purposes. And I know I'm not making the same amount of money and there aren't fans that are ultimately invested in my performance. But I think it's borderline ridiculous. Now, are the players stupid for snapping pictures? You bet your ass. Go about your business. Don't try and make it a focal point. Being in Miami when you're up in New York, all right, maybe not the best way to do it, but we've seen it in every day and age. Other players doing that, whether it's Joe Namath, whether it's Max McGee in a Super Bowl that he showed up shit can to. I mean, guys are doing this every single day. It doesn't impact their performance. And while I know the stakes are higher and there's legacies on the line, cut these guys a break. I'm sure Odell Beckham, if he drops a ball, it won't be because he was wearing Timberlands without his shirt on a boat in Miami, even if it is a boat that happened to be, you know, provided by folks that are pretty prominent in the nightclub industry.
3: Uh, I'll say this. That specific night, that specific club, it's, it's, it's typically the, the night of the year, they call it. I decided not to partake in this, but some pretty good information on this. Uh, many of those said athletes did not drink or even smoke. So, uh, for whatever reason, some of those guys like to dance. It's not my thing, but that's what they like to do. They like the music. They like the dance. Not so much the drink or the smoke. So, that didn't partake. Um, the dumb thing here, though, is <laughs> putting this out there because of the repercussion. Not thinking
1: yeah, you lose two this steps game, you ahead. Bad.
3: That's exactly it. You lose this game. And then you look like a bumbling moron. So that that's the lone issue with it. They didn't take the. It wasn't even a second step. They didn't take the next step in the thought process. Um, but
1: I mean, there are players there are,
3: and we've we've. There's a very successful NBA better um, that had ties to the Philadelphia region over the years, and they would try to. Um, they would get very good information on Allen Iverson and his party habits he would be the only guy that literally could defy the odds. He could show up little powder in the nose, hung over from the other the night before and still hang 40 or 50. Um he's the only guy that I've seen be able to do that. But these guys, like I said, the information that I had it's it's very good. It's like I was dancing with kind of information. Uh most of those guys weren't drinking or smoking. So
1: and let's not kid ourselves, the Michael Jordan infamous flu game, uh, I'd be willing to bet dollars to donuts there was no flu virus no, anywhere no, in Michael's system that night. No flu. Yeah, there there was no flu there, so before we start to uh, hold these guys under a microscope as young kids, do I think it's the smartest thing? No, because the way it looks and perception, uh, but the reality of it but is... But then your teammates
3: t- have to answer the questions as well. Eli, right, exactly. Eli did a very good job of that. But th- I but think Eli
1: the- did a great job yeah. deflecting all that. You know, publicly putting that foot forward, I'm sure there were different conversations held in the locker room, but there's also a reason they talk about in the National Football League. The closer you are to the center, basically your IQ as you move further out to the periphery of the field starts to decline, and that's why receivers, defensive backs, uh, they are a special breed.
3: I'm not going to touch on that.
1: Well, I mean, that's just... You hear players talk about it all the time. like Centers have to be the smartest guy up, up the middle, quarterbacks. No different than in baseball. Second baseman, shortstop, and center fielders need to be the guys with the highest sports IQ. And as you get out to the outside, the Des Bryants, the Terrell Owens you know, guys that may
3: provide this, you know, this, other this is a guy from the game. left saying this, not me. Oh, here we go. Not me. Here we go. It has nothing
1: <laughs> to do with all that crap. I knew where you were going to go with it, but you know, either way, uh, let's get back to the game and try and figure out the actual <laughs> handicap. And I want to start with the Packers offense against the Giants defense, since that'll probably be the matchup uh, that everybody is watching first and foremost.
3: I think when you look at this, we've talked about green Bay's progression over the season first 11 weeks, the offense averaged five and a half yards per offensive snap. Uh, The last six weeks, 6.8 yards per play when you back out some of the noise, you know, the kneelings, things of that nature. Uh, The last six weeks, the Packers offense, third in successful pass plays, 10th in successful run plays. Uh, and it seems like they're getting some of that quick strike ability back. First 11 weeks, 26th in uh, explosive pass plays. Last six weeks, 10th. So we've seen the strides this Green Bay's offense has made. What is it? Is it Aaron Rodgers kind of buying into the offensive system, getting it out quick, improvising when need be, but sticking to the blueprint? Uh, Is it getting a ground game going with Christian Michael, Montgomery? Um, is it Jordy Nelson getting healthier, having confidence in the knee, sliding into the slot some, not necessarily always lining up out wide? I think it's all of that. Uh, so that's going to be the key with this offense. One thing I will say, and to trend towards this, I we got a couple questions on Twitter. Did you see those? Like, what? Why uh, is this I actually, total I so did low? Not see those. There are a lot of questions I've gotten. There. Why is this total so low? Um, I'll tell you this. Ben McAdoo is with the Packers from 2006 to 2013 in two of those years as QB coach working directly with Aaron Rodgers uh, when he came to New York he literally installed the same exact offensive philosophy spread you out, get it out quick um, obviously Eli not as mobile but it's literally what the offense is supposed to be, get it out quick Rodgers improvises and that might actually be the difference in this game but the familiarity of these two, because they run the same exact offense, is why, to the untrained eye, this total feels low. They played early on in the season, right in Lambeau, it was 23-16 final. Dom Capers and, did it. And a, that was
1: with a late giant touchdown, mind you. It was 23-7 for the lion's share of that fourth quarter.
3: Yes, and Dom Capers did a fantastic 23-9. job drifting his focus on Beckham Jr. I believe he had 5 for 56. And I know a lot of the question marks in the secondary for Green Bay, but they didn't have Sam Shields or Demarius Randall. Neither of them played in that game. Um, these two offenses are literally a mirror image of one another.
1: And when we, look at, when we talk about mirror images of one another, we know the Giants' strength is on the defensive side the $100 million question, Eli Manning in that Giants offense, you mentioned Green Bay knows Odell Beckham and what he's capable of doing. They have familiarity with him as we talked about playing earlier in the season. The Giants have found a little bit in the ground game, beating Paul Perkins going, but what do we expect of Eli? So much being talked about, Payne. I I mean, it's not revisionist history, but oh, Eli came up here, he's done it before in Green Bay. This isn't the same Eli Manning.
3: This Giants offense, (laughs) specifically Eli, need to make some plays. Um, and I know there's there's a large portion, as you alluded to, whose whose eyes have seen Eli do this before. They think this sudden switch is going to get flipped, and and there's playoff Eli. Uh, he has been bad this year, real bad, like thirtieth out of thirty six qualifying quarterbacks, and efficiency bad, uh, like worse than Blake Bortles' RG3 bad to this point. To put it in perspective of this Dear season, Jesus. it's it's that bad when you look at. The overall efficiency numbers. Now, does he still have that ability to make the big play? For whatever reason, that's ingrained in him. We saw it this past weekend. He's finding, like, you know, king down the field to make this big play. We've seen him make big throws, and that's what he's going to need to do here. I think when you look at potentially a big player, too, that's going to be the difference in this game. Uh, that's going to be the key. Um, the Giants defense is very good. Like, let's just, you know, Again, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back. This is a defense I told you was going to be fantastic at the beginning of the season. I knew the players they acquired. Not necessarily the recipe for long-term success, although... Not
1: not to pat yourself on the back as if you hate doing that, but go ahead, continue. But,
3: you know, Leon Hall was a... No one talked about Leon Hall. That was, like, one of the best signings. It was a cheap signing. There was a couple veteran teams that were making playoff pushes that they expected that he might sign there. They picked him up. That's not the way you build a long-term defense, but... They've been fantastic this season. I'll tell you this, though. When you look at this, um, the Giants have only allowed 24 offensive TDs this season. That's number one. But they do it by being aggressive. Spaggs has really utilized his his new shiny toys. But sometimes that aggression can turn big plays. Um, And you look at this. Since week seven, the Giants are 30th in explosive pass defense. Uh, they give up the big play. Maybe that's the difference here in a really tight game. Rogers maybe improvising, and he hits one or two game-changing plays that flip it on its head, or maybe it's Eli making the big throw. We've seen OBJ take that nine-yard slant to the house, and there are going to be some backup secondary members here uh, for Green Bay. I think this is going to be played really tight to the vest. These teams know each other so well. So, is it going to be Eli with the big play? Is it going to be Rodgers improvising, finding the deep play? I think that's all it's going to take one or two big plays to turn this game on its head, either direction.
1: What number gets you to the party if you're trying to make a case for the Giants?
3: <laughs> I will say this. I think a lot of people, you and know, I've gotten emails, and you, you watch TV. I know what the bet percentages say. I know what Mason alluded to said, you know, 55% of the tickets did take a little sharp money on Green Bay. Is it real? Is it fake? We know what the Giants have done on the road in general, especially in the playoffs. This number at four and a half is like dead perfect. Like these are kind of coin flip teams. I think we might have Green Bay rated a you know half a point better home field advantage four four and a half. So like this is the right number four and a half five. This is the right number. Um, It's about finding that matchup. And as good as that Giants defense is, it's gonna have to be the offense that makes a play you're going to if the defense isn't perfect like the Giants aren't gonna have a chance here the defense needs to be perfect which we think they will be they have been you know for the latter part of the season This is gonna need to be Eli Eli is gonna have to make a play that's that's point-blank period in this game you are going to need Eli to make a play because as good as that defense is for the Giants against Aaron Rodgers like you can't be perfect um
1: no, and Eli has to avoid the big costly turnover. Yep. I mean, it's it's okay in this type of situation to punt and force Green Bay to drive the length of the field. You can't give Aaron Rodgers and company short fields, and I think that's what we've seen from Eli lately, which is different. We used the Philadelphia Eagles game as a perfect example, and I know it didn't have a whole lot of meaning, but the Giants got themselves behind the eight ball early, and they weren't able to come back, and that's a Philadelphia offense that's much more limited than Green Bay, but it's a defense that that's much better.
3: And I think, again, for the casual fan, they're looking at this, and it's, you know, That Giants defense is awesome. This has been the pedigree that's won them the last two Super Bowls. And that's accurate. And they look at Green Bay. They say the offense. And that's going to be the key matchup here. I think the key matchup is, can the Giants offense do anything on this defense? Now they have, as you alluded to, got the ground game going a little bit better to the point where you have to respect it. Paul Perkins, uh, you know, Chicken Little. I always forget his name. Ben McAdoo. um, He's fantastic with... Showing a variance with the ground game. You know, he'll line up and shotgun spread you out and hand it off for a draw when the defense is thin up front. You know, they're playing pass. That's really where the ground game's been improved the last few weeks. Um, Obviously, Perkins, a little bit better back, hits the hole a little bit more explosive, has a little bit more wiggle than Jennings. But the way they're running, it's more of a surprise sneak attack, so to speak. And that's why it's been successful. But again, mirror images of each other. I've been doing some reading there have been talks of not full-blown game plan changes, but some little tweaks and changes uh, for this game because both teams know exactly what the other wants to do. Like, it is literally the same exact offenses that these two are running.
1: And I think one thing to build on you saying that Eli's got to make plays and such, uh, not only does he have to come up with one home run somewhere throughout the course of the game, it's the little things within the context of 60 minutes. It's picking up first downs. If Green Bay goes on a 12-play march, that may ultimately result in a field goal. The Giants can't afford to go 3-and-out. They need to get 6-7 to seven plays. We've seen Green Bay to try and protect that defense in recent weeks. Maybe not hit the home runs, but use that short, intermediate, West Coast offense, so to speak, uh, to keep opposing defenses there. And a very similar blueprint to what the Cowboys had to employ when they knew that they had to protect their defense by keeping them fresh and off the field.
3: Listen, you, you looked at the Bears, you looked at the Vikings... Neither of those offenses are overly dynamic. All of them have holes. They all had great success against Green Bay's defense in recent weeks. Eli's, Eli's got to do the same thing. It's that simple. Um, it's just tough for me to envision, and, and maybe I'm I'm, I'm going to be wrong here. Um, he's going to flip on the switch, and he's going to be playoff Eli. If that's the case, you know the Giants going to win this game outright. Uh, but if Eli's the key here, that's the entire key. Uh, if he well, can they- make enough plays. If he can find his guys, he can stay ahead of the chains. Use that short passing attack, and that's the, when you look at some of those injuries potentially in the secondary for Green Bay. We always think about the deep shot, and yeah, Eli can hit that, but it's extremely annoying when you have to cover the quick wide receivers and those quick seven-yard passes. And that's exactly what the Giants want to do. Uh, when you're playing with safeties at, at cornerback, it's the quick passing game that'll eat you alive. It's it's you can really see a cornerback's deficiencies when he's. In small coverage, in small space, so uh, there's going to be advantages there for the Giants offensively. Can can Eli capitalize on them? That's the question.
0: Well,
1: thankfully, they may have holes in their game, but Payne, There are never holes in our game. And while it didn't sound like we made a compelling case for any side or total in these four matchups, if anything does brew, uh, we'll post that as we always do on BetTheBoardPodcast.com for folks to try and get to the window. But rest assured, there will be plenty of ample opportunity moving forward, if it's not Wild Card weekend in the divisional round. So unless you have anything further to say, I think we've uh, done a hell of a job breaking it all down for folks today.
3: That's it. Let's wrap it up
1: for Dave Mason. You can follow him on Twitter at Dave Mason BOL. We always appreciate his book perspective, courtesy of bet online pain insider. Follow him on Twitter as well at pain insider. I am Todd Furman. You can follow me there at Todd Furman. And of course, bet the board and at bet pod on Twitter. Best of luck. NFL playoffs, it is a bittersweet time of year with only 11 meaningful professional football games left, but we'll find our ways to get you to the window as best we can.
2: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles,
1: and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.